Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Shell Games Podcast for the week of June 5th. This is episode number 64. And of course, Shell Games is a lighthearted look at the games of today and the ones still on the shelf. I'm your host, John, and I am solo this week. I think for the first time ever. I don't think I've ever done a solo podcast. But this is not your regularly scheduled Shell Games podcast. This is kind of a, a bit of a recap from uh, my time at an academic conference in Toronto. And don't go running to the hills yet, because this was an academic conference solely about games. So I kind of wanted to recount my time there and some of the really interesting talks that I got to see. I'm going to try and not take too long with this. Um, apologies that the episode is going up late. It'll either be up late Monday or early Tuesday, depending on how quickly I can turn this around. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was really, really cool heading to this uh, conference. So, so this was sort of a part of what they call Congress of the Humanities, which is sort of this much larger uh, academic conference where you have people from humanities departments from all over Canada uh, coming to present their, you know, their research, uh, a lot of thesis um, work by master students and, and graduate students. Uh, but you even have like PhD candidates and professors uh, that are there presenting as well. So it's it, it's pretty cool, uh, a little bit intimidating for an undergraduate like me, um, but I kind of quickly uh, fell into it and um, had a chance to talk to some really interesting people. Um, so the thing that I went there specifically for was uh, the Canadian Game Studies Association, and they had their annual congress or their annual conference under the umbrella of the Congress of the Humanities. Um, so though I could have gone to see some other interesting talks, and I probably should have, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I spent most of my time just at the uh, Canadian Game Studies Association's thing. So um, another quick uh, quick note, I'm not going to edit this podcast, so you're going to have to deal with uh, more awkward pauses, more ums and ahs than I uh, care to admit, um, I usually like to cut as many of those out of the show as I can, just so that I look good um, and don't sound like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but but yeah, I'm just gonna gonna do this raw, do it rough, um, and uh, get this in the podcast feed as quick as I can. Um, and then uh, we'll be back with your normal shelf game stuff uh, as soon as we can. Probably not next week, unfortunately. I have a couple of big projects I got to get to, so. Uh, Ugh, there might not be a normal show next week, but I swear the week after we'll be back. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll try and get one in this weekend. Uh, we'll see how much I can get done on this essay and this presentation that I need to get finished by Monday. Um, anyways, overall thoughts. The Canadian Games Studies Association people are really cool. Um, they're very welcoming. Um, there was actually quite a, quite a number of undergrad undergrads uh, that were there, um, and though as intimidating as it was to sort of be in these rooms with these incredibly intelligent researchers and professors, uh, the you know deep down everyone there loved games or had an interest in games, which I thought was really cool. Plus, you know they were all a little bit nerdy, a little bit quirky. Everyone sort of had that imposter syndrome. Um, actually one, one of the, the master's students I spoke to flat out said that, um, and, and, you know, it's something that a lot of people kind of have to get over. Um, so I was, I was a little bit shy at first, you know, trying to 
feel things out. And, and, uh, but I did introduce myself to a few people, kind of went up to them, said, Hey, I liked your talk or, um, kind of said like, Hey, how do I, uh, do more with, with this association? Um, but overall really cool. Um, I was really excited to see so many people tackling games from an academic sort of perspective. And what I found really interesting is that, you know, myself, I'm, I'm, uh, a communications background and, I found it really interesting to see people from other fields tackling games in their own unique ways. Um, so there were definitely a handful of talks where I felt like the presenter was just talking completely over my head. I was just like, either A, this person is way too smart, or B, they're using terminology and lingo that I am completely and utterly unfamiliar with. Um, sort of as a result of them sort of coming at it from a different perspective or just being so entrenched in academia that um, their work is probably not approachable for um, I, I would get, I would say like a general audience or even, even a game enthusiast audience. Um, uh, but overall, I would say the, the talks were really cool um, and, and, and fairly approachable. And, and I learned quite a bit. Uh, I've got like a, a notebook here with half scribbled notes. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to go through my notes. I'm going to go through uh, my tweets. Uh, apologies to anyone who follows follows me on Twitter. Those three days were just like me tweeting and retweeting nonstop from all of these talks. Uh, so it was a cavalcade of, uh, of tweets on my feed. And that only happens usually when there's a major Dota event. So I apologize to anyone who didn't mute that hashtag and had to sit through uh, <laughs> all of those tweets that may or may not have been in context. Uh, but I'm going to go through that. And I'm only going to try and hit on like a few of the big talks that I really enjoyed. Um, the, there was way too many to talk about here. And I don't want to, I don't want this show to go like three or four hours. Um, oh, one other quick note. Um, a lot of academic speakers, not so great at speaking. But, 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 sorry like academics, a academics and researchers, not so great at public speaking again, probably because it's something that they don't do very often. Uh, there's a lot of people that would just sort of put their head down and read their paper word for word, uh, for their allotted 15 minutes. Um, also people were bad at like timing themselves. Like, like, I don't think they practiced or if they did practice, they rushed through, I don't know, but, but a lot of people ended up having to like kind of wrap up too quickly or, they would just monotonously read and I would kind of lose interest. Uh, but, but on the other hand, there were, there were some really fantastic uh, speakers. Uh, I think a lot of the people who have teaching experience were probably a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I would say it was probably like an, a 60-40 split. 60% uh, kind of being a little bit nervous and, and not comfortable with speaking and 40% being like really fantastic and, and really engaging and interesting. Um, also, some of the discussions that uh, that arose from these talks were really fascinating as well. Um, more often than not, the, the format would be like uh, you'd have three speakers, each would have 15 minutes to present their paper or their research, and then you'd have like a 15-minute question period um, after that. Um, but yeah, anyways, let's let's just kind of get into it. Uh, let's start with my first day. Um, the first big uh, panel that I went to was called, what was it called here? Uh, closer than they appear, video games as objects to think with. Um, and two talks specifically from from that panel really stuck out to me. Uh, the first was called uh, From Life Force to Legal Tender, uh, which was presented by Michael Hancock. Michael Hancock. Um, and he talked about 
the use of souls as currency, which was really interesting. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, sorry. I'm just like reading this one t tweet from uh, Jeremy Antley. He, he said how, uh, Michael shows that making souls into currency introduces neoliberal ideas into gameplay, emphasizing moments over longer story. Um, so that was a cool, cool, cool talk. Uh, next, uh, there was, or in that same panel, uh, Megan Blythe Adams, uh, talked about, uh, the corpse protagonist in games like Planescape Torment and Dark Souls. Um, and sort of just hitting on that idea of, um, you know, in, in certain games, uh, you, you play as, as a dead person, as this sort of living undead. Um, and, uh, it was interesting seeing Megan talk about because I've actually had her one of her other papers as an assigned reading in one, in uh, a course that I did last year. Uh, so when I mentioned that to her afterwards, she was uh, she was pretty uh, excited about that. Um, and the one thing she hit on in her talk uh, when she was talking uh, about Dark Souls and Planescape, um, she sort of talked about the relationship between uh, the player and death. And how in games where you die and die and die and die, it might be easy to dismiss death as meaningless. Uh, but uh, Megan sort of emphasized that no, like um, death actually, when when, you, when when a player character dies repeatedly, it actually forces the player to engage with the question of death in real life. Um, at least that's what she posited. Another interesting thing that she said that I kind of quoted her uh, in one of my tweets is, that the player as this possessing force that animates inert matter, which I thought was a really, really interesting idea. Um, and then I went to another panel that was really re revolved around death, and that was called uh, Cake and Death, Tales of Death in Video Games. Um, and who did I see first there? Um, Oh, it was uh, Emily Flynn Jones, and she did a talk called Deathly Discourses. And she talked about how uh, the media specifically sort of creates our narratives about death. Um, and it had this interesting idea of how no matter how proficient you are at a game, you're most likely going to lead your avatar to, to many deaths. And how that idea is like, regardless of how good you are, you're going to die in a game. And is you know is that something that we should be thinking about is is that sort of a troubling idea um and then megan uh blaith adams had another talk uh called uh, who dies and how um and she talked about the datification of games which is something that the sort of mainstream gaming press has sort of picked up you know this idea that like a lot of de developers are getting older so they're starting to tell stories about dads and their siblings or rather their their offspring um, but Megan specifically was talking about, um, you know, this performance of masculinity and how in a lot of games, you sort of see this messianic father figure dying in place of their daughter. Um, and she, she posed this question of, of like whether their fatherly quest only really begins, uh, upon their death. And, and, you know, that idea is interesting specifically when we talk about setting up sequels and that kind of thing. Um,
Also fearing the agency of their daughters was an idea that she kind of hit on as well, which was kind of interesting. Um, oh yeah. And the fact that they only do emotional labor with their, um, with their daughters, but only to a certain point. Um, like he'll gun down all the enemies in a level, but he'll never talk to his daughter about, you know, periods or something like that. Um, again, talking about sort of what a father figure will and will not do in a game and whether that is problematic. Um, then we had a talk from a game dev, um, Gabby Darienzo, and she talked about her upcoming game, uh, A Mortician's Tale. And she specifically talked about this interesting idea of, of death positivity and how, um, you know, we, we have a lot of sort of negative ideas uh, surrounding death. And she sort of talked about um, if you talk about death, it, it sort of allows us to demystify it. And, um, you know, have us sort of think about it as not this thing that we should fear, but this thing that, that we can accept as it's sort of a, a daily part of life. Um So after that, um, I think I went to a panel on, again, death, loss, uh, and trauma. Um, and the trauma aspect of it specifically was really, really interesting. Um, and I listened to, oh gosh, I'm going to mispronounce her name. Um, Eugenia Kuznetso Kuznetsova, um, who talked a lot about trauma in games and agency in games. Um, and she talked a lot about trauma tropes um, and how they're represented in games and how oftentimes trauma is misrepresented and there are very few games that kind of handle it well. I think a couple examples that were brought up during the discussion were, well, she specifically talked about Silent Hill 2 and I think uh, Spec Ops The Line was brought up during our discussion as well. Um, and she sort of mentioned that like, one of the ways that you can accurately depict trauma in a game, at least to the player, might be through sub subversions of their expectations um, and subverting their player agency. Uh, and that's something that is specific to video games. And it's not something that you can necessarily do in other mediums where, um, you know, because you are, because games are interactive and performative, if you subvert a player's agency within a game and within uh, a digital space, you can sort of convey different aspects of trauma. I was a little bit concerned about that. I, I wanted to talk to her, but I didn't get a chance to because I think if it's done poorly, subverting player agency can lead to annoyance and actually pulling someone out of their suspension of disbelief. Um, but anyways, that, that was still a really, really cool idea. Um, I saw a really cool talk about, uh, Majora's Mask and sort of, uh, using it as, um, as a metaphor for, for the trauma of leaving childhood. Um, and another interesting idea that came up during this panel is that, this idea of perpetrator trauma, sort of the trauma that someone, um, uh, you know, 
goes through by committing acts of violence or emotional or physical abuse or something like that. And perpetrator trauma is, again, something that's inherent to video games, you know, because we are engaging in certain acts. So, you know, if you watch a movie and, and, and one character does something horrible to another, we, you know, you as the viewer, we as the viewer are sort of removed from that. Same thing in, in a book or a play or, or, or what have you. But in a video game, again, that's like, uh, to, to, you know, it's the only thing that I, the only medium that I can think of where perpetrator trauma exists. Um, and again, that's an interesting idea that I think developers could perhaps play with. Um, and it's probably something that a lot of, a lot of us have felt before. We, we do something in a game to whether it's an NPC or another player and we actually feel a little bit you know, repulsed by it, you know, in, in the real world. And um, again, that's an interesting idea that I don't know too many developers have sort of played with. Um, again, there were so many, so many talks. I don't want to linger too much on uh, some of these. Um, again, like I said, I'm not editing out all of this awkward silence as I kind of like look through my notes and, and, uh, my feed here. Um, hmm. Ooh, yeah, this was a good talk. Um, so this is Rebecca Waldy. Um, and she talked about, um, tropes, um, and mental illness in until dawn. Um, and I thought she deconstructed this game really, really well. Um, So yeah, so she really uh, touched on masculinity versus mental illness um, and how Until Dawn portrays those things. And within the game, she sort of argued that able-bodiedness is uh, akin to, you know, uh, asserting one's masculinity. And she talked about, about, again, those tropes, and she talked about the trope of the psycho killer and... Uh, again, specifically within uh, Until Dawn, without spoiling anything, how the inability to be a protector is tied to mental illness. And she talks about one character and how they become emasculated by being saved by a woman. Um, they are stripped of their protector status. And like like that's at a mechanical level. She, she specifically talked about how this masculine character or this, this male character could perform X, Y, and Z before they were saved by by a woman, but then afterwards they could not. And how uh, Until Dawn sort of portrays that emasculation, you know, because their status as the protector was subverted. Um, and she also talked about how Until Dawn portrays mental illness as monstrous, which sort of feeds into the stigma behind mental illness. Um Um, yeah, and, and uh, again, I'm just reading something here that someone wrote about the talk uh, and how the inability to fulfill the masculine role, i.e. the protector, um, is a form of trauma and that is a, a root of mental illness uh, of the psycho killer. So really interesting critiques of Until Dawn and its portrayals of mental illness. I'm Another quick note, I'm probably doing none of these talks justice because again, these are just like my fast scribblings. Um, I'm definitely not um, covering them as well as I, I, I probably should be. Um, 
But again, I'm, I'm just kind of quickly going through some of the interesting things that I saw. Um, next up, uh, I went to an interesting panel on war in video games. Uh, so the first speaker there was Jason Hariliak, and he talked about sort of the semiotics in war games, specifically in Battlefield 1. Um, and I won't get too, too much into that, but it was a really interesting talk. Uh, he talked about... Uh, um, cognitive dissonance, sort of this clashing of elements. And, and a lot of times when we talk about dissonance, we sort of think about the game having us do something that sort of pulls us out of the experience. Like uh, I, I think one example that is always brought up is sort of the cognitive dissonance between Nathan Drake, Nathan Drake being this, this, this fun adventurer in the Uncharted games, happy-go-lucky, a sweetheart. But then when you're actually playing as Nathan Drake, you're like, very ruthlessly murdering like thousands of people. So that's sort of dissonance. Um, but he talked about how sort of those, those clashing of elements uh, aren't always necessarily a bad thing. Um, and, and he sort of pulled an example from Battlefield 1 where it actually works quite well. Um, sort of during during this this scene where there's chaos in the background, but sort of silence and, and this sort of slow orchestral music um, in the foreground. Um there was a couple other cool talks uh, during that war panel, but I'm not going to get too, too much into them. Uh, then I went and sat in on a um, – did I tweet about this one? I don't think I did. I went and sat in on a uh, sort of a roundtable discussion about um, how to bring up social, social justice in the classroom. Um, so this was uh, led by Carolyn Jong. And – this was a this was an interesting chat. Um, I think a lot of the people that were in in on that panel were educators and had worked in classrooms, and they were trying to figure out how do you some sometimes bring up these um, ideas of, of about social equality and um, you know some things that but might be a little bit more progressive, um, especially when you're talking about video games and, and how difficult that can be. Um, so there are some interesting ideas that were discussed. Um, you know, the idea of how systems of oppression sort of influence just about everything. So it's important to talk about them, even when we're talking about video games. Um, also politics uh, as informing everything. Um, and if, if you don't think that's, that's the case, you know, just even if you think about the idea of a classroom and how a classroom is situated where the lecturer is at the front, the, students are oriented in such a way that they are sort of subservient to the professor. They are facing them in rows. Uh, so they are, because of the layout, they're encouraged not to talk to each other or look at each other. They are looking only at the lecturer. Um, so again, in, in that structure, politics are present. Um, and, and, <laughs> There was this, um, this was almost like a recurring theme throughout the conference. And that was like, how do you um, address, again, some of these, some of these ideas about politics and um, equality in the, in, in discussions with, you know, people who are perhaps uh, fans of games or in, within gaming communities uh, without them becoming defensive. Um, 
and sort of how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with sort of uh, built in toxicity in, in certain communities um, with rabid fandom? And, and that was a question that sort of, I think like weighed heavily on a lot of people um, throughout the conference and sort of how do you deal with that? Um, one idea was like, especially with students, it was sort of unpacking one's own privilege in front of your students so that that would perhaps allow them to see their own privilege. Um, like, um, you know, like for myself, I could say, um, you know, I was born in a middle class family and, um, you know, I was, I was born in, in, in Canada where, you know, uh, things are pretty good for us and, uh, I'm white. So that, that afforded me perhaps, uh, certain, um, freedoms that, that people that aren't white don't necessarily get to have day to day. Um, freedoms is the wrong word, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, I was perhaps given a pass on a lot of things that, that I, I shouldn't have been, uh, just because of, um, my skin color. Um, and again, you know, being, being middle-class, uh, that means, you know, I was afforded certain things that other people weren't. Um, I could, you know, afford to, um, travel when I was younger, I could, um, uh, you know, go to university and decide it wasn't for me. And then, you know, I, I had options when I was younger. So, so being able to like sort of unpack those things in front of students might, might help them, um, again, see their own privileges. Um, uh, one of the, uh, the other talks that I got to see was, um, one by Emma Vossen. And it was actually really, uh, really inspiring. Uh, she's a terrific public speaker. Um, and she talked about one thing that I was kind of thinking about over these last few weeks, and that was the inaccessibility of game studies. And this sort of idea that like, uh, academia is almost like its own isolated world. And how do you get your research, um, in front of people who might not necessarily, um, be in that in that realm um but also how do you make academia a safe space for people to conduct research and to go about their day-to-day -day? um and she talked about how it's important to make uh games uh studies and, and and research this sort of safe haven from uh toxic games culture which is you know something we we address on the show quite frequently um And she also talked about how um, game studies or just all game studies need to be intersectional game studies. And in, you know, that idea I think is a pretty simple one, but it's not necessarily some, uh, or it's not necessarily one that um, a lot of people might think about sort of day to day. And again, just it, the intersectional being the, uh, I'm like literally Googling it so I can refresh my memory because sometimes I don't necessarily have the words for what I want to say. Um, so, it, it's uh, a concept often used in critical theories to describe the ways in which oppressive institutions, so racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, xenophobia, classism, uh, etc., are interconnected and cannot be examined separately from one another. Um, so that's a pretty easy idea, but, but again, it's not necessarily one that people kind of take into account um, when they're studying something or looking at something. So it's like, 
you need to take in into account all factors. You can't just say like, oh, this happened because, you know, this is a, um, a race issue. You know, you can't just say, oh, this happened because this is a sex issue. Um, intersectionality is just that idea that like you have to take into account everything. Um, so again, Emma, Emma Vosen did, did a terrific job with that talk. Um, trying to look at uh, some of the stuff that I might have missed here. Why did I not take notes on this one? This is a really good talk. Sorry, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. I swear I'm going to get through this dead air. Um, man, my notes are a gosh darn mess. Oh, okay. This was a good one. Writing in the wake of gamer hate. Um, this was a talk by uh, Andrea Luke and Claudia Lowe. Um, and Claudia Lowe might be a name that's kind of familiar to some folks. Um, I don't know if people remember. I don't know if we even talked about this on the show, but like a year ago, there was a an article that was written on Rock Paper Shotgun about RimWorld and sort of the the force gender roles that were actually encoded um, into the game's systems um and sort of the so so uh claudia wrote about this uh for rock paper shotgun and, and talked about sort of how uh male characters i think could only be straight um and female characters could be straight or bisexual um and she so she she wrote this article about this and and there was this huge backlash and like the developer kind of lashed out at her and then a whole bunch of like fans from that community lashed out at um at that article as well um so uh claudia now a year later and with a, an associate of hers sort of wrote this this piece or this 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 uh they they were they've conducted research looking at this and and they talked about sort of this mistrust of journalism and criticism um and how oftentimes they, they'll create this narrative of victimhood. And um, it was just really, really cool. Um, they, they talked about um, how sometimes, you know, this, this sort of lashing out, it feels very participatory. And there's this like fanish engagement and this sense of sort of belonging in community where, where you have this sort of backlash from, from, uh, from a fan group. So, so that was a really, really interesting talk. Um, and uh, I think one of their points was sort of like, how do you counter community building around hateful rhetoric? Um, and again, this kind of goes back to one of the points that Emma Vossen was making in her talk, sort of around uh, escaping toxic culture um, so that you can sort of again, sort of research and, and, and talk about these things. Um, and one, one of the things that Claudia, Claudia said during her talk, and I actually quoted her, is, is, quote, do we now have to educate the public on the purpose of criticism? 
Um, because again, to, to just to sort of boil things down, is she wrote this piece about RimWorld criticizing it, and the you know the the public reaction to it, or at least from from that fan community, was like so poisonous. Um, and you know, again, I think this sort of goes to some of the things that we've talked about on the show as well as, you know, people reacting negatively to reviews or to, um, you know, critique videos and things like that. We talked about it, you know, what was it last week, the week before with the reaction from Wargaming to one of their community contributors because they critiqued a, a new um, vehicle that they implemented, you know. Um, so again, just this idea that people are sort of losing focus of what criticism is and what it is for is kind of troubling. Um, okay. Uh, what was next up? Um, I think I went to a panel on, oh gosh, I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, but the first talk I saw there was about, uh, rape and colonialism in Dragon Age, which was really cool. And how this is by, uh, Jocelyn Bear. And she talked about how sort of consent is often assumed in games. Um, but it probably shouldn't be, um, because they're, you know, it's <sighs> anytime your character can engage in sort of some sort of sexual relationship with someone, again, it's just like, you know, a series of inputs and a series of commands and you get sex. But again, the idea of consent is very rarely addressed. Um, she also mentioned how there are various experiences of rape and it's not completely universal. Like, uh, it's, it's very, very difficult to sort of uh, quantify what constitutes rape um, as, you know, all, all, all experiences are, are valid. Um, and it's, it's not always helpfully labeled as rape. Um, and one of the things that she mentioned is that Bioware has a worrying pattern of of power imbalance in their romantic relationships. Um, so really interesting talk. Uh, I wish she had some more time to sort of delve into that. Um, and again, I don't feel like I'm doing that talk justice. Um, but it was really interesting. It was really interesting. It, it sort of stirred a lot of questions in me. Um, the next up was uh, one from Sarah Stang. And she talked about uh, sexy aliens and abject monsters. Um, so basically what that boiled down to is uh, sort of the racialized and sexualized othering of women in sci-fi and fantasy games. Um, and how the female body is often sort of portrayed as like this monstrous thing. Um, and how sort of, you know, non-white um, equals abnormal in video games um, or non-human. You know, if you think about aliens and their different skin tones and that sort of thing. Um, and, and she also talked about like a lot of monstrous femininity. And if you think to like sort of some Dark Souls monsters or uh, like these brood type monsters um, where they're portrayed in this very gross sort of way. Um, and she sort of related that to uh, a fear of unchecked maternal control which I thought was really interesting. Um, she even asked like, what is it about women that is so shocking that you see these, these portrayals of them in certain games? Um, she talked a bit about Mass Effect, Dragon Age, um, The Witcher 3, 
couple other games, specifically in The Witcher 3, she brought up um, The Plague Maiden, if any if anyone's played that game. Um, the Plague Maiden is sort of like this wretched, like, hag-type ghost thing with, like, this monstrous tongue and just, like, very grotesque and blech. Um, and she mentioned how it was this thing that was sort of warped from, uh, you know, a, a pure maiden um, in life to this terrible warp thing in, in afterlife or death. Um, and she used it as an example of, of sort of these patriarchal, ugh, I can't speak, these patriarchal concerns over female purity, which was really, really cool. Um, talked about the abjection of motherhood and the gendering of monsters. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, again, this is me just like scrolling through my Twitter feed and seeing if I missed anything. Uh, I think that was the end of the first day. Oh my gosh, this podcast is going way too long. Um, or maybe that was the end of the second day. That was the end of the second day, I think. Okay. Whew. Okay. Trucking along here. Um, I think I saw a couple panels on like the industry itself and sort of the business of the industry and where it was heading in, in the next little bit. I saw an interesting talk about steam and sort of the socio-technical infrastructure there. Um, who did this one? This was uh, Dan, I can't remember his first name or his last name. But anyways, Dan, <laughs> Dan presented on, on, on Steam and, and he sort of talked about uh, discoverability as a commodity. And it kind of talked about how Steam isn't, isn't a person's friend as, um, you know, the discoverability thing is is often trying to manage users and control their discovery experience. Um, and one thing he mentioned was sort of Steam wants variety at lower prices for consumers, uh, which equals a greater number of sales um, versus fewer options at higher prices because that just means more money for them. Um, yeah, sorry, my notes are a real mess here. Um, I feel like I missed whole talks in my notes here. Um, Kara Stone uh, was presenting on posthumanism and game design, which I thought was really, really interesting. She, she sort of posed the question of like, what can and cannot play? Um, sort of like, can animals play? Can inanimate objects play? It was a really interesting talk. Um, and sort of what qualities does something need to, to, to be able to play? You know, she said, well, can mushrooms play? Um,
and yeah, so so it even got like really, really granular. Um, you know, so so again, she talked about inanimate objects. You know, can they play? Uh, she talked about you know a lot of the biological things that go on within certain organisms and whether those can be equ- uh, equated to play. Um, she even posed the question like whether viruses and bacteria when they engage with human bodies, is that some sort of twisted form of play, which I thought was really kind of cool. Um, she even talked about software and, and sort of can AI or software play as well. Um, she referenced uh, TL Taylor, who is a, um, an esports scholar and some of the work that she did with uh, looking at uh, world of Warcraft and MMOs and this, this so. Kara brought up this idea that, again, Taylor sort of referenced, and that is this idea of non-human software becoming a co-player with humans. So like a piece of software that measures and records and keeps track of things like in, in a World of Warcraft raid is sort of like a 41st member of that encounter. Um, so I thought that was a really cool idea. Um Oh, and then I saw an interesting talk by Jason LeJoy, and he talked about um, – oh, yeah. So Jason LeJoy, he talked about um, the ludic technology of Grinder, and he called it gaming on the grid, um, and how within an app ecosystem like that, people, users, have to sort of, quote, play gay effectively. Um and they sort of have to achieve this ideal player identity um, and, and how the, the concept of homosexuality was sort of mediated through this social construction and through technology, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and he related it to this idea of um, these Sandow cards, which were sort of like cards of like this bodybuilder um, in, I guess it would have been like the late uh 19th early 20th century um and sort of how the aggressive masculinity on grinder um again which is a gay dating app uh, sort of reflects what what would he call the virile masculinity of of sandow in those early uh yeah late 19th century uh photos um and how sort of people would sort of collect these cards and 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 pass them about um which was which was kind of interesting um and and again again this is sort of all like performative right and and just this idea that you have to achieve this this ideal um anyway Oh, and that was like another thing that he was kind of getting at with with the fact that like people would trade these like cards of this bodybuilder um, in uh, in the late nineteenth century is the fact that like you know you wouldn't like trade them and be like oh yes I'm 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 a, I'm a, I'm a gay man because you know I enjoy looking at the male physique it was more of like look how look how virile masculine this guy is um, and it was definitely um, something that. Um, heterosexual people engaged in as well. Um, but, but he sort of just, uh, Lejoie sort of equated it to, again, this, this performance of masculinity on, on Grindr and, and that app. So that was kind of cool. Um, 
Ooh, Aiden. Yeah. Aiden, uh, Jarriet, uh, did this really, really awesome deconstruction of, uh, Arkham Asylum, which is probably one of my favorite Batman games. Um, and she talked about, uh, queer and mad female toxicity within that game. Um, and sort of how the way the game addresses gender and mental health issues is really twisted. And then it, she, she kind of flipped on, 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 on its head, everything that I thought I knew about that game and made me look at it in, in a new light, which, um, which, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, just the way that she approached that, um, approach that, that video game. And she sort of shows that like within Arkham Asylum, within that game, it, it shows systemic violence and discrimination against those that are labeled quote mad. Um, again, this kind of goes back to, uh, the talk that, that, uh, I mentioned earlier by Waldy, where, where she talks about <clears throat> the portrayal of mental health uh, or mental illness rather in until dawn and how Batman, I think, uh, parallels a lot of these, these same issues. I, I mean, you can talk about I think almost any portrayal of mental health issues in media period and they're problematic um, because again, they, they sort of uh, show that, you know, mental health is evil or it is, um, you know, a result of um, them or that person sort of breaking cultural norms or something. Um and uh, Aiden talked about uh, – uh, Dan, sorry uh, – talked about uh, how Batman, as this white male savior, is allowed to enact va- violence against, quote, mad women. Um, and and she, she sort of notes how, how this is problematic as, you know, people with mental illness aren't – are actually more likely to have violence enacted upon them. Like they're more likely to be victims of violence uh, than to trespass violence. Um, so it's strange that in a video game, it's sort of the other way around. Um, what were some of the other things that she sort of hit upon? Um, well, specifically she talked about, um, you know, it, when you think like, oh, this person's talking about madness or mental health in, uh, um, uh, in a Batman game. So you think it's going to be a talk about Harley Quinn, but she actually talked about Poison Ivy and she talked, or she, she said that like, Ivy is presented as this queer mad mother to her unnatural babies, like the, the, the plants that she controls. Um, and, and she sort of, you know, denotes how this is unwanted in, tr- in traditional society. Um, another thing she said was that like, you know, her mental state is that of the other, her body is ours. And this provokes simultaneous desire and re- repulsion. Cause again, she's, she's presented in this way that is like overly, you know, hyper, hypersexualized. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so she really made me think long and hard about some of the representations in that game. And like, even one thing she brought up was just like Ivy's plants that are sort of scattered throughout Arkham. You, you, in, the only way you can interact with them is by like punching them by like literally like fisting this, this uh, depiction of like the, the female form uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, like, like flowers or, or things like that are, are sort of very representative of like the female sex organs. Um, 
So that's the only way Batman can interact with it is by destroying them with his, with his fist. Um, and I can like still see the, the canned animation for that in my head. Cause I think I played through that game like two or three times. Um, what else did I see that afternoon? Um, I saw a couple talks about No Man's Sky and some of the vitriolic backlash, uh, against it and sort of, sort of the use of humor within that community, um, to talk about it. Um, Oh, this was an interesting talk by Sarah Thorne. She sort of talked about uh, player demands and uh, what developers can do within their games. Um, yeah, and she sort of, sort of covered this this idea of how developers have to balance creativity and uh, consumer demands. Um, and she sort of asked, like, you know, are developers burdened by by these player demands? Um, or is there some sort of benefit to participatory culture where they're engaging with fans and having them be an active sort of part of that process? Um, it was kind of interesting. Um, again, I feel like I didn't take enough notes during that talk. <laughs> uh, but she specifically talked about a game called uh, Magic Circle, um, which is sort of very on the nose talking about those, those questions. Um, Saw another talk about uh, No Man's Sky by Chris Lawrence, and he he talked about how that game very, very much so reproduces this sort of this narrative of colonialism and, and imperialism, and in how it tasks the player with the slow systemic colonization of the galaxy, um, and in how even the game itself has a lot of language of exploitation. Um, even in the DLC where you can make bases, now you're establishing colonies in, in someone else's territory and you're putting the locals to work for you to gather resources for you. Um, so it was, uh, it was kind of interesting. Um, what was one thing he said here? Quote, you set out with a dream, a death wish and a gun that fires rays of exploitation. That was kind of fun. Um, uh, someone else said, this is a great overview of the erasure, etymological colonization, and employment, quote, employment of others in No Man's Sky, basically slavery. Um, so I think that was all I had a chance to see. I kind of went through everything really quickly. So again, apologies to <laughs> those people whose presentations I talked about. I did not do them justice. Um, I wanted to keep this under an hour. And I, I'm sure I was probably rambling too much and spent too much time reading and looking at my Twitter feed to try and remember everything that uh, uh, happened during the conference. I actually recorded uh, a little bit of something when I was there, um, but thinking back, I, I spoke way too long, so I kind of wanted to do something a little bit shorter, a little bit faster. Um, overall, it was really, really positive. Unfortunately, like um, throughout the conference, there were three panels going simultaneously. So as much as I wanted to see everything, I had to pick and choose uh, what panels and what talks I sat in on. Um, so that was, that was kind of terrible. Um, just in the fact that like, there was so like, I wanted to see everything, but I, I had to only pick one of three possible options uh, in every block. Um, and yeah, just so many cool ideas that were presented there. Um, I'm kind of excited to see 
so many uh, smart people, you know, master students, uh, people with PhDs, people who are professors, people who are pursuing their PhDs, uh, tackling a lot of these um, hard questions and, and sort of putting this medium that we all love under this intense focus and microscope uh, to talk about some of the heavier ideas there. Um, so if there's anything that perhaps you want me to go into more detail um, on uh, any of those ideas that were brought up or any of those talks that I had a chance to see, um, definitely let me know. Send us an email, shelvegames at gmail.com uh, or hit me up on Twitter at, at John underscore tab. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, I, I, like I said, uh, again, I had, I had a chance to chat with a few people there. Um, you know, I, I think I spoke to, to one gentleman who, who's a PhD candidate and he was specifically looking at animal representation in video games, which I thought was cool and sort of how animals are very rarely presented in a game, you know, just to be there and just to be animals. They're almost always there as like a resource or something for the player to interact with, um, something for them to exploit. Um, really, really cool ideas. I, I've probably said that like a million times already. Um, but the people there were fantastic. They were very welcoming. They were very um, supportive. Uh, you know, uh, the couple of people that I spoke to, they were very much like, hey, you know, just because you're an undergrad and just because you're here for the first time doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and submit something next year. Um, so it's already got the wheels in my head spinning <laughs> about expanding some of the research that I've done in the past and um, perhaps bringing that up at uh, at a future, um, you know, annual meeting of the Canadian Game Studies Association. Um yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that I want to talk about. Um, but it uh, it definitely set the bar really, really high for my first academic conference. And um, it was a really interesting experience. Um, so yeah, I might try and expand on my, my research looking at sort of systems of communication in Dota 2. Maybe I'll expand that to some other games. Um, Maybe I'll try and come up with something because <laughs> I was thinking about working on that later this summer, um, expanding on that research, maybe tightening up some of our, my arguments, looking at some, some other studies and some other researchers and some other work and trying to figure out a way to package that into like a 15 minute talk, maybe in a, in a video or, or a panel at a conference like this. Um, but again, I've been babbling. Uh, I think this is going almost an hour now. Um, so apologies that it was just me that you had to listen to my silly voice for, for a whole hour. Um, hopefully you don't unsubscribe. <laughs> um, like I said, we'll be back next time with another regular episode of the show. And um, this is where I normally do all of the plugs and stuff. But of course, I don't have that document up in front of me. Um, like I said, the the joys of listening to a unedited podcast. Um Yeah, like I said, if you have any questions about some of the stuff that I went over, uh, send us an email, shelfgames at gmail.com. Um, and of course, you can always find the, sh the podcast at shelfgames.com slash podcast. Uh, we're on the Apple Podcast Store, the iTunes Store, um, or Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at shelfgames. Um, check us out on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and of course, on Twitch, just search for shelfgames. Uh, music for the show is by Zedion, who you can find on SoundCloud. And uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to me ramble 
Uh, but my first academic conference, uh, again, I, just overall a, a very positive experience. Uh, I think I was probably a little too shy, a little too intimidated. Um, I, I probably should have uh, been a little bit more uh, forward and introduced myself to more people and uh, tried to hang out with some more folks. Unfortunately, I was like, or fortunately or unfortunately, I was I was staying with a friend who I hadn't seen in, in quite a long time. So I would like go to the conference and then as soon as it was done, I would, I would go back and hang out with them for the evening. And um, that meant I wasn't hanging out with the academics and getting some more chill, uh, you know, face-to-face time with them. So maybe next time. Um, but yeah, that's it. I think that's all. Those are all my thoughts. Um, again, if you have any questions, maybe on the next show, some of my co-hosts might be able to ask me about things that I've forgotten. Um, anyways, I'm rambling. Like I said, the joys of an unedited show. So that's it. And we will catch you next time. Probably not next week. Like I said, I've got a couple of projects I need to finish up. So my apologies in, adv- in advance, but we will see you very, very soon. My friends, we'll be back to a normal episode where we talk about gaming news, the games that we're playing. Um, and yeah, I will see you uh, very shortly. So until then, go and grab a game off the shelf because you never know what you're going to find.